You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Sam Abual Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And uh, Rebecca is off uh, babysitting a couple of nephews this evening. Are they uh, are they legitimately young nephews? Was was that Well, I saw one picture that you know, it was clearly a young kid, so I'm assuming they're young nephews. Okay. Um, I know she, you know she has an older nephew that uh, you know, uh, was living with her for a while, living in her house, uh, but he's moved out now. So she's just, I think she's babysitting for one of her siblings. So like legitimately babysitting. babysitting. Yes. Yeah. Legitimately babysitting. That's, right. She can't be here this evening. Well, Auntie Rebecca will be back sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and you know what? It's interesting. Uh, the, the, the show that you guys did, I was like, when I edited it last week, I was like, oh, God, I wish I was there for that. Because um, <laughs> you guys had a question about a sound meter. and Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we can we can almost come back to that one. I was like, I have a sound meter. <laughs> um, I haven't oh. broken it out in years. Um, but the uh, And the reason for that is that you can just get a sound meter app for your phone. And right. The mic on your phone. I don't, is I don't, I don't know how accurate those things actually are, though. It depends on the mic and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little variation. Basically, it's gonna it'll tell you kind of sort of close enough, but there's there's a lot that goes into sort of measuring sound, and yeah. I don't know how good we'd we'd be at it, you know. Um, well, and you know, there's also you know, do you measure it in decibels? Do you measure measure it in sones? Uh, because they're they're actually measuring two very different things. You know, one so, one one is measuring sound pressure, right? And sounds, you know, decibels is measuring sound pressure, um, because sound is made by waves, pressure waves in in the air in the atmosphere, right? And sounds is actually measuring the loudness of the the tone and the type of tone it is. Yeah. And manufacturers have you know over the last. I don't know, it's probably about 20 years. I think, you know, early 2000s, I think, uh, like when I was still working at TRW as an engineer, um, you know, and they were doing sound measurements of the ABS systems, they switched from using, from measuring by decibels to measuring by sones because it, it gave you a better indication of the sound quality. Right, yeah. Which it's, is important. Sones is definitely, I think, and I think a lot of industries use sones um, 
but you know you can convert zones to DB if you wanted to, um, because the I think the general public very much understands decibels versus zones. But zones is a much more comprehensive measurement, like you said. It sort of takes the the quality of the noise into um, account, uh, and and even with um, sound pressure. You know, you got to be careful. Is it A-weighted, which mimics the response of your ear? Or is it C-weighted, which is much more broadband? And then in a car driving down the road, um, you know, is there, are you holding the meter? And so are you introducing handling noise? Or is the meter sitting on something, which is, again, going to introduce rumble because it's just going to physically vibrate the mic capsules. So, you know, we, we could take some measurements. We could play around with some, some apps. It's not a terrible thing. Um, but... Generally, cars are, when you look at the decibel level, they're not all that different in terms of the sound pressure. It's more the, like the quality of the noise, you know? Um, I think that's one of the things that we talk about, and I'll talk about it a little bit with one of the cars I was driving, but, you know, certain brands tend to be a little noisier. They may not measure noisier, but they, they, they have a particularly fatiguing noise quality in the, you know, in the way that, you know the, the the soundproofing lets certain frequencies through, and certain certain ones get blocked. So, yeah. And you know, I think that that definitely applies to the the Toyota E6 that I was just driving. Um, you know, it's I think that's definitely a, a sound that um, while it's fun for a while, I think it would be fatiguing if you were driving this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's, it's the sounds versus decibels too. Like that's a lot like um, horsepower and PS. Right, like most of most of the power measurements now are done in PS, right? Um, yeah, although you know, PS is is still measuring the same thing. It's measuring the the rate of uh, torque, basically the rate of torque delivery. Um, it's just a slightly different scale. Yeah, because it, it's basically metric horsepower. So metric it's kind of like isn't that kilowatts? Kind of like kind of kind of like imperial. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, same thing. You yeah, know, um, you know, so it, it's it's measure. You know, it's it's like imperial gallons versus U.S. gallons. Oh right, you know, so it's metric sli- gallons, yeah. or, or Celsius versus Fahrenheit. You know, same same measurement, but you know, different different scaling. Yeah, so I, I'm happy to grab an app and take some sound measurements if I if I remember. It'd, it'd be interesting to if you could do that and compare it to the sound meter and see how see how accurate the apps are. Yeah see how much impact that has the nice thing about the apps because my sound meter is an older one i used it actually for setting up like my mix position in, in audio post rooms where you know there's there is a standard you know i would i wanted to mix to a 79 db uh i think it was a weighted back in the day so I'd, I'd put on um uh pink noise i think pink noise and or pink noise or white noise well anyway i'd tone the room and i'd set up the mix position so that it'd have 79 db because i was mixing for tv not for movies so for movies if you're on a movie stage and you're editing uh you're you're mixing it's 85 db which if you've ever been around 85 db that's loud i don't want to yeah. be exposed to that for an eight hour stretch um so i well i mean prefer. you know 80 85 is that that's the threshold that they recommend not going over right for uh, for, you know, for, for east Particularly, like for for long term exposure, yeah, like right. um, it, it kind of correlates. Like, give yourself a break after an eight hour workday of, <laughs> of that. And I'm like, nah, I, I, you know. And and something like mixing, I actually tend to vary the the level, so I would, I would mark out where 79 was, um, because there's the way your ear works is, you know, there's the Fletcher Munson curve, so you get up a, at a particular sound pressure level, and the frequency response of your ear flattens out. 
Um, and that's the flattest it's going to be. So did not mean to turn this into a podcast. About, <laughs> this, <laughs> this week in sound geekery. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot to it though. It's, and um, uh, I'm happy to do it. I think actually one of the things that would be really cool is if uh, we could be a little lazy and just crowdsource a sort of a list of things that people want us to, um, to measure uh, within reason, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we don't, um, we don't have test tracks that are at our disposal and, you know, fifth wheels and all kinds of other gear so yeah but if there's something that you always go for on a car and you you want us to just you know consistently take a look at that particular thing um you know we can create maybe a google doc or something but it, in in you know in the meantime just just email us and uh yeah. we'll we'll get it <laughs> it's podcast at wheelbearing.media wheelbearings.media <laughs> um no actually it's oh, uh, feed, feedback at <laughs> wheelbearings.media <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, okay. It's okay. Dan, Dan's going to edit all this out. It'll never appear in the show. Totally going to edit it. Uh, no, don't, don't. Now I'm going to leave it. Um, all right. So let's move on to actually the cars we've been driving. And, and Sam, right. I'll let you go first. So what's the first one you want to talk about? Uh, the 2020 Volvo XC90 T8. And you know, it's funny. Um, when when I was scheduling cars for this month, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, the the young lady at the uh, fleet management company, the uh, drive shop that was doing this one, said, you know, she, uh, she put sent me the list and had the XC90 on there. And I thought, Didn't I, haven't I just recently driven this? I thought I'd driven it recently. She looked back at my schedule and said, No, you haven't been in this thing since 2016. Wow. Um, so it was I, brand I, new. I've, then. I've been, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've I've been you know I've been in a bunch of other Volvos. Um, you know, the V60 and the XC60 and the XC40 and things like that. Uh, but I hadn't been in the 90, the XC90 for a while. And, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, it, in a lot of ways, you know, it's like all the other modern Volvos, which is for mostly really good, you know, um, you know, it's just bigger <laughs> it's just more, right. you know, the same thing, but more. And, you know, I, I like the look of it. You know, this, this generation of the XC90 is, excuse me, getting to, towards the end of its life cycle. Um, you know, there's a new one due in for 2022. So probably about another year, 18 months left on this one before the next generation shows up. And that next generation is the one that is going to get Volvo's new uh, level three conditionally automated driving system that includes a LiDAR sensor. Um, but that's not here yet. You know, what we have now is, you know, what, what we've had in, in other Volvos for a while. Um, you know, so this is the plug-in hybrid, uh, 415 horsepower total from uh, the 2-liter uh, the four-cylinder engine in the front with both a supercharger and a turbocharger, putting out 315 horsepower, and then a 100-horsepower electric motor on the rear axle and a big battery down the middle of it. And one of the things I did this time is you know I fully charged it up and then took it out and did you know did a drive cycle a mix of uh you know urban suburban rural driving uh, a little bit of highway in there uh to see how many electric only miles I could get out of it you know one of the modes you can put it in is the there's multiple drive modes you can put it in sport or normal or what they call pure mode which forces it into EV mode so they say and you're going to get Oh, Jesus, it's in metric. It's 40 kilometers, whatever, whatever that, 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 that like <laughs> well, 30 something uh, miles. Well, let's see. Uh, it's Times uh, officially right? rated at uh, says 18 miles. miles. 18 the, miles. The, EPA, 
18 miles on, on the window sticker. So that's the official EPA rating. I actually got 22 miles out of it. Okay, so that's actually, which, like, that's a little closer, like, because 40 kilometers is 24 miles, right, for, by 0.6, so. Yeah, well, I, I think I think that 40 kilometers is the WLTP number, so that's the European test oh, value, well, so which then is you actually, you a did, little bit higher. You did a lot better than, than uh, yeah. you, you, you should have. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did great, you know, and my, my overall average, you know, fuel economy for the week uh, was, like, 99 miles per gallon because... Uh, basically, every time I came home, I plugged it in. <laughs> and a four hundred uh, something horsepower. Yeah, you know. and and then yeah, but I, I mean, most of the time I wasn't using the four hundred horsepower because you don't really need it most of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so you know this this thing, you know, if you plug it in all the time, you know, for most of your you know driving around town to go to the grocery store, you know, do run whatever errands, you're going to be able to run it you know, on electricity almost all the time, you know, unless you really stomp on the gas pedal and, you know, then the engine will come on and, and, you know, you'll get plenty of performance too. But, you know, it's, you know, it's a nice powertrain. And this is the same powertrain that they have in the, in the V60 plug-in hybrid and the S60 and the XC60 uh, and the uh, S90 and the V90. So, you know, they've basically got this across all of the 60 and 90 series models. Well, it's so like, six... you know, it's like Volvo decided to take a look at its classic formula where yeah. they had very distinctive styling and they had one engine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they used and that's, everything. And that, and that's what they have today. I mean, everything that Volvo builds right now, you know, still has, is built around one engine, one two-liter four-cylinder engine that they sell either – with a turbocharger or a bigger turbocharger or a turbo and a supercharger or a turbo supercharger and a hybrid you know so that's yeah. those are your options now although the, uh, just this week they just started production of the XC40 um, recharge which yeah. is the battery electric version uh, so that's that's going to be coming soon well and Geely just introduced um, a vehicle that has their newest uh, sort of their newest corporate architecture. So I expect that we're going to get Volvos on that architecture at some point. Yeah, or at least Polestars. I don't – okay. we'll probably get uh, Volvos uh, at some point as well. Um, the the next generation, the SPA2 architecture, which is the next generation of what's under the 60 and 90 series vehicles, um, that will have an option for an all-electric version. But there's also a dedicated EV platform that they've developed, which they'll be using for – vehicles like you know upcoming pole stars like they also uh showed a concept in uh, in beijing last week uh called the uh the, the pole star precept right. um and said that's going to be coming to production uh in a, i think about two years so there's you know there's there's lots of electrification lots more electrification coming from volvo car group um over the next several years which you know is in line <coughs> excuse me which is in line with um, what you know what Volvo announced a couple of years ago when they said you know from 2020 onwards all of their vehicles would have electrification. What they what they actually wrote in the press release was that all, they were going all electric, which was not true. Right. That's what what they yeah. actually meant was they're going all electrified because as as a standard going forward, all their models are going to have a 48 volt mild hybrid as the minimum. And then they'll have 
uh, plug-in hybrids and battery electrics on top of that. Which I think is I think is good. And the new one that I was talking about with Geely is the uh, the SEA architecture, whatever that stands for, uh, sustainable experience architecture. Um, yeah, and I think that's what they're using for the Precept and, yeah. and other EV models going forward. Um, um, but I think it's good that they're going to actually have everything get a hybrid because one of my observations with that the turbo two liter is well it's a fine enough engine and it's generally powerful enough uh it doesn't sound or feel as premium as it could and so the having a hybrid and the electric motor to give you that torque means you're gonna have to work the engine a little less hard and i think that will improve the character of uh the cars um by making them feel a little bit more confident from from you know stops and stuff like that yeah and you know with with the plug-in hybrids you you definitely get a lot of that because you know it always it'll always launch electrically you know and then the engine comes in so the engine's not working as hard so even even when the the charge is depleted you know when you when you've just got hybrid charge in the battery uh you're it's still going to launch electrically and then the engine comes in uh, unless you really stomp on it, you know, in which case it all comes on at the same time. But uh, you know, the uh, the one I the XC90 I had was uh, uh, the base price for the plug-in hybrid is sixty-seven thousand five hundred dollars. That's not terrible. Then, I mean, yeah. you compare that to what like an X5 is it's within range. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's not it's not unreasonable, you know. But then you know when you start adding on all the options, like this one was an inscription, uh, you know, that had the really nice seats and. Twenty-inch uh, wheels and park assist and uh, wood, you know, walnut uh, inlays in the dashboard, and uh, you know that's that's sixty-three hundred bucks for the inscription package. Uh, the advanced package is another twenty-five hundred bucks for the LED headlights with active bending in the corners and the the heads-up display and the three-sixty surround camera, uh, and then another three grand for the luxury package to get the heated rear seats and the heated steering wheel. Which of course you want, you know, especially in the wintertime. Uh, oh, and the and the massaging seats, love the massaging seats. Uh, you know, so all, all together, you know, it came to eighty six thousand seven hundred and ninety dollars delivered. So still not terrible when you consider no. the amount of luxury you get. Yeah, when you when you consider the luxury you get, and you know, if you compare it to a plug-in hybrid X five, uh, or actually, you know, I guess. Not sure. I think it probably it might even be closer to an X7 because this this is a three row, uh, you know, like the X7. Uh, you know, you're you're going to be paying at least that much, you know, for BMW or Mercedes plug-in hybrid, you know, three row SUV as well. Uh, so it's it's not, you know, it's not cheap, but it's you know it's in line with the rest of the segment. You know, it's de- it's definitely comparable. Uh, you know, for that kind of money, I though I I think. I'm, I might just be more inclined to go with the uh, the Aviator Grand Touring instead. So I did drive an Aviator, and I can't remember whether I talked about it on the show or not. We, but you did last I, time, yeah. Man, I was impressed with that thing. Yeah. Um, and definitely uh, that was one of my comments was like for the same kind of money, the, the, the Lincoln actually to me felt a lot more premium than the Volvo. And, and the Volvo is nicely designed and it's comfortable and it does have a lot of nice features. But the, the Lincoln, whatever they managed to do, I mean, that thing just feels really special. It, it does. So, you know, and that's, you know, that's going to run you, you know, especially a black label Grand Touring is going to be about 87, 88 grand. So it's about the same price. And, you know, it, 
it's definitely uh, definitely more. It feels more upscale than this one does. It, so how is my consistent complaint <laughs> about the XC90 is um, that that SPA platform just doesn't seem to to have a very plush ride. Uh, how how was this one? Maybe I just haven't no, sampled. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it plush, you right. know. But this one was also you know with the inscription package, you're on twenty inch wheels, and you know I think that that always that always hurts ride. So uh, it's been a, it's been a long time since I drove one you know that was a non inscription, you know, one of the lower trim levels with the eighteens uh, or even nineteen inch wheels, you know. But I I I suspect the you know, it, some of the inputs felt a little sharp, you know, like there wasn't enough compliance in the sidewalls. Um, you know, I mean, overall it was, it was great. You know, it was comfortable, but I, I certainly wouldn't call it plush. See, that's one of the things that the Lincoln managed to do was it had that, the one that I drove had the air suspension and, and so it just, it could get plush. It, yeah, it, it, it gives you that option of, you know, picking a, a softer setting, you know, or tightening it up, you know, when you're, when you want to drive more aggressively and, you know, that, that adaptability that you get with that suspension system, I think is, is definitely an advantage. Yeah. So, and you know, we're talking about the XC90 that's at the, the end of its life cycle, essentially. And so I expect that that's, that's going to improve. So, yeah. uh, then the next one will have to be better. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm sure it will be. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a, five six-year-old product now it came out in 15 right so uh yeah i think so yeah, yeah 15 it's getting getting up there in age yeah uh you know and this one you know this had the pilot assist system on there which i tried again and you know it's it's okay it's it's definitely gotten better over the years uh you know each time i've tried it it, it it's a little more confident it does a little better job of you know staying you know staying centered in the lane um you know it's absolutely not a system that you can do hands off it, you know, not not in any way, shape, or form, but you know, it it does it does okay. You know, as uh, a really nice driver assist system. Yeah, it's pretty uh, good. I like it in um, stop and go. It's pretty well yeah. well done for that. Yeah, it's it's great for that. Uh, and you know, I did drive you know do most of the driving you know around town with that. I didn't really go any long distances on the highway with it, so it works really well in those kinds of conditions. Um, you know, census we've we've beat that one to death over the years. <laughs> you know. It's, I was going to say, I, I was it's, it's, go, it's going away. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the Polestar Two is the first one to get the new Android Automotive based system, and then the the new you know the new generation XC90 and all the, everything else that follows is going to get that as well. It's coming. It'll, yeah. it'll be here, and we'll have a new thing to complain about. Yeah, <laughs> we always find something to yeah. complain about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the XC90 is um, it's it's a really well done choice for its its um, segment. You know, yeah. it still is. And I still think it looks fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the, the design, you know, it's, it's one of those designs that, that, has, that holds up really well. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a fussy design. You know, mm. it's, it's very clean, uh, but it's got some really nice details in it, you know, that, you know, has spread across the rest of the lineup. You know, I, I still like the way they've done, you know, that, that they did with the, the headlights, you know, the Thor's hammer yeah. signature lighting in the headlights. I think that's still a very cool touch, uh, that, that works and it's, it's distinct, distinctly Volvo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, all right. What about you? Uh, well, I, I got to, 
I got to try the Mazda CX-30, which I was really excited about because uh, in the past you've driven one and your take on it was that it, it, it really, it kind of, it replaces the CX-3, which is yeah, good, but the CX-30 just slots right in between the CX-3 and the CX-5. And uh, it's just, you know, modern Mazdas are driver's cars. Even this was a driver's car. You know, it it, um, it surprised me. I had to go into the office, which is about 45 miles away. And so on the way back, I, I have to, you know, do a couple of uh, highway interchanges. And there's there's one of them that's a decreasing radius turn. <laughs> <laughs> I love those. And you shut off traction control and you're just like, I'm just going to see how little braking I can do. <laughs> and the CX-30, it doesn't matter what chassis layout it is, too. If it's a good chassis, you'll be able to do this where, yes, it's going to understeer, but then you can just balance it right on the understeer and just and the CX-30 did that. No problem. We got around it. And I was I was very pleased. Well, you know, the 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 thing that the CX-30 and all, you know, all the other newer Mazdas have is that G vectoring system. Yeah, it works, which, you know, it's it's using the accelerometer in the car. Um, you know, and steering angle and, you know, various other sensors. And it's detecting, you know, when you're going through curves like that. And basically it, it automatically backs off the engine torque a little bit, which has the effect of creating some weight transfer onto the front wheels. It's it's essentially doing automatic trail braking for you without actually using the brakes. Which is good because I suck at trail braking. <laughs> yeah. And it does it really, really well and, and seamlessly. I mean, you can feel it, you know, just tracking wherever, you know, exactly where you want it to go without without it actually feeling like it's doing anything yeah it's not a, it's not oppressive it's not magic i mean if you overcook yeah. a turn you're going off the side of the oh road. yeah uh, i mean phys- <laughs> physics is still physics you know? right you when, just... when, I, when i was when i was working on abs systems you know one of our you know the general rule of thumb was you know newton was right you know <laughs> physics physics ultimately wins over everything else yeah uh and and with understeer like that just means like it, it, understeer is safe because it, it plows nose first so you, you get all that front impact protection um um, I was not able to test that, so that's a good thing, actually. Um, but I was really pleased with just how it it'll you know you'll get some of the body roll because because Mazda's not they 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 know how to tune the suspension so you get that sensation of of you know the car digging in. It'll take a set. It'll 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 carve around that decreasing radius turn and and you know where the exact limit of adhesion is, and so you know where to to sort of go you know steer into it and out of it and just. The, that's the kind of entertainment you can do without having to go fast. And so that's really pleasant because a lot of cars these days, like that Volvo you just had, um, its limits are too high, you know, to, and, and I'm sure it would be unhappy if you tried, if you tried to do that. Um, but, it, it, you know, with, with large wheels and big tires and there's just too much grip and you, you can't do that sort of thing without really being too out of control. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. I appreciate a car that feels elemental that way. And uh, there was the real steering feel. Um, it rode really well. It, it wasn't harsh. It had a really nice balance of, of um, sort of suppleness and, and um, you know, adhesion, I guess, or, or just uh, control. 
And it looks great. It was that nice, like, crystal red color. Oh, yeah. the soul crystal red, yeah. yeah. Um, that's just, that's the best color. It looks so good. I don't know whether – I think it's like a, a base coat and then a tinted clear or something too. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what they do to get that particular color, but it's very distinctive. And it had a um, a, a light tan – uh, light tan seats and stuff so it, it really looked and felt premium uh and it drove sporty you know it, it drove like it drove like bmws used to and I, I hate to use that kind of cliche but it really does it it feels like it has that that soul of a a premium sort of sporty car or just a, like a performance mindset to it in in some way and it's not it's not really all that fast it it's uh it doesn't have a turbo yet. It's getting the turbo. And my initial thought was, well, it needs it. And then I thought about it, and I was like, it's it's going to be fine with or without it. Um, it's not exactly slow without the turbo, but you you do wind up sort of actively planning your moves a little bit yeah. sometimes. Um, yeah, it's, it's 185 horsepower. It's, yeah, it's fine. It's adequate. Yeah, it's it's adequate and it's it's really like it's enough to get in trouble. I worry that the turbo is going to have just that much more punch and it's it's going to uh allow you to kind of upset the balance of the car. Uh because turbo power delivery is non-linear and and the nice thing about this engine is that it's it's linear. If you you want the power, you wring its neck. If <laughs> if uh you're in the middle of a turn and you put your foot down with a turbo, especially the turbos now where they spool so quick, you all of a sudden you you've got too much torque and you're boiling the inside tire uh whereas a not naturally aspirated engine you you know you learn by feel and by hearing where that power is going to come so it's it's again if you're actively driving you don't necessarily need it but for the way most people drive they're going to really appreciate the off the line torque and the the extra performance of the turbo and it's i don't think it's going to hurt cx30 it might um might make it a little bit more of a challenge to drive in a uh, irresponsible manner. <laughs> well, you know the the um, the turbo is the same engine that they have in the Mazda six, the two point five liter turbo. So it's two hundred and fifty horsepower, and it's great in the six. I've driven it a couple of times now, uh, and it's it's a really fantastic engine. Very very smooth and seamless. Um, you know, lots of you know good low end or good torque all the way through, and I think, you know, with all-wheel drive on the CX-30, and it's also going to be, it's also coming to the Mazda 3, uh, with all-wheel drive in those models, I think it'll be fine. I, I don't I don't anticipate any issues with it. Yeah, I, I think it'll, like, I think it's going to make it a, have a good impression in the market. You know, when, when you consider all of this competition probably offers something that feels punchy too, uh, mm-hmm. they kind of can't not, uh, they, they can't omit it. Um you know, I think it compares the CX thirty compares with the Escape, right? Or is it slightly smaller? Uh, no, it's smaller. Okay. It's, uh, so Ford the, doesn't the, have anything yeah. that compares to it. Well, I mean, the only thing Ford's got that's close in size to that is the Echo Sport, and it really is. You know, there's no comparison. I, you know, it's it's is, not even in the same class. No, it's definitely not. Um, but the the Echo Sport is one of those other ones. It's surprising. I I really like to throw that thing around by the scruff of its neck too. Um, it's definitely not a premium feeling product. <laughs> no, not not at all. <laughs> but it's surprisingly fun to uh, to fling around. Um, so yeah, but it, it's it's a little bit on the smaller side than that, and and it'll have some more power. So I think it, it's going to occupy 
a a niche in the market um and it you know it, it just it feels really nice it it's uh just a a, a non-premium premium feel which like that's that's a thing you know um you don't have to go to a luxury brand to get the the luxury features it, it just it, it makes a good impression in the trim that i had it in and it wasn't super expensive it was in the 30s but not not high 30s um and yeah, I mean, it really doesn't get much over 30 fully loaded. Yeah, and it's just pretty fully loaded. I'm not a huge fan of their infotainment. Um, I don't mind the, the remote controller knob. I, that's fine. I just think that there's too many too many menus, too many clicks, and they, they need to sort of flatten out that structure. And uh, the, the control wheel is fine. That works really well. It's just the actual software and the, the user interface is kind of tedious and that makes it confusing to get what you want and and go back and forth so uh they got some work to do there but the rest of the car is lovely it's a very good size uh you know we had um trying to think if we had everybody in it or not uh but uh, at least in in my use there were no complaints about it feeling cramped um and just everything feels good and looks good uh the engine when you are sort of wringing its neck it's a really classic Japanese four cylinder. It's 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 a you know smooth, good sounding engine, so you don't mind revving it out. Uh, where you know some some engines don't sound all that pleasant, <laughs> right? <laughs> when you're doing and it's that. it's not it's not a CVT, which also helps. Right. You know, that helps. Six speed. Yeah. It's it's no, it's a really good. It's a really good little compact CV, and I, I kind of. It doesn't matter that it's a CUV. It's still fun to drive, you know? So, And that's where we're at. Like, We're not going to stop losing sedans for crossovers. Yeah. <laughs> like, might as well just it's, embrace it. It's, it. it's basically a Mazda 3 hatchback that's been lifted a couple inches. Yeah. And so, come on. How can you, uh, how can you deny that? <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, and so they took that one away, and they gave me a uh, Lexus ES350 um, F-Sport, which... That's another one that, uh, you know, the, the common complaint about the ES350 and, and Lexus, obviously, in general, is that the, the cars were a little sleepy and not really all that capable in a performance sense. Or they just didn't like to be hustled. Um, this was a little different. It, it doesn't mind being hustled. Um, the F-Sport has a little stiffer suspension, a little more aggressive look, and, and it, it actually was a really good-looking car. It's comfortable. Um, it has sportier seats, and they were it was blue, dark blue metallic on the outside, and red leather. So I mean, that's a nice combo. It's hard hard not to enjoy that. Um, it uh, it it you know it it has all of the elements kind of together, and and it has that three point five liter V six that uh, snarls real nicely and has plenty of power. It's they've done enough on this to make it feel appropriately aggressive and so i was surprised by that um you know the the expected traits are still there it's still very quiet and refined but there's like that little bit of not too much you, you kind of hear the whir of the machinery which I, I i appreciated that you know you can hear the engine a little bit more than you might think you would uh and it's almost like a throwback like there's just this little guttural sound from the, the v6 and it, it kind of thrums through the uh through the steering i'm not saying the steering column shakes or anything it's a solid platform <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but uh yeah uh I, I so i was either i'm getting old or they did a really good job on the, the es 350 this time around well I, w- I wouldn't rule out that both of those are true <laughs> that's true that's true i mean it's a big city it's based on it's not camry now right it's avalon like it's, 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 well, it's all kind of the same thing but it's bigger yeah, I mean, Camry and Avalon, um, you know, are both, you know, variations of the TNGA platform. You know, the 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 larger at the at the larger end of that platform architecture. Yeah, and and the uh, so no problem with the room in the back seat. It was, it was spacious, um, big trunk. The the TNGA always has always kind of impressed me. Um, there were a couple of sort of creaks and not not rattles but it makes makes a little bit of noise when you're driving it um trying to exploit that performance from the the big wheels and the stiffer suspension uh you know sportier tires uh, i don't i don't know that i would say that they all do that this is a press car <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um they they tend to sometimes get beaten um, no. Yeah. It <laughs> doesn't happen. Um, and, and, you know, I think, too, it's one of those cars that around town, it it has the right mix of uh, performance and tuning. I think if you were to, to try this on a track day, you'd quickly find that it's not the car for that. You know, it, it's going to fall apart in terms of its performance. Um, but it's one of those cars that on the street, feels really good um because you know, there were a couple of times where i i found the limits <laughs> and i was like oh okay there we go um so it's and it's, it's it's really good up until the limit and then all of a sudden you have found them it's it's not not scary but it's it's just uh it and sometimes it fools you a little bit i guess um to to just like because it looks so so aggressive and it, it, it gives off these vibes like i i am a I'm a driving machine. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. then you attempt it and you're like, Oh no, no, there, there it is. <laughs> There's the understeer. We're going to be careful here. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a pleasant, pleasant car that has a little bit of an edge to it. So, uh, it, it's, it's hard to really complain about the ES 350. It's very luxurious. It's very well done. The infotainment still sucks. Um, it did have Apple CarPlay, so that was a plus. Um, but it's not, their their infotainment's not that well done and i i hope that they i've been giving toyota a pass on this for a couple years now saying i'm sure they're working on it so damn it (laughs) (laughs) they they have to be done working on it now they have to upgrade this stuff it's yeah it's it's not good um does the does the es have the trackpad or yes what's yeah i didn't find the trackpad terrible but it's it's not it's not as good as the old the the little mouse thing, the little joystick they used to yeah. have, because you can't really orient yourself on it. So you, the, there's wasted motion there, and it's, you know, when you're driving, you're trying to move the stupid highlight around to what you want, and you don't, you miss it, and and there's there's like extra clicks. There's like three extra. Yeah, I always thought you know that that little mouse stubby joystick thing was a lot more precise control yeah. than what you get out of this trackpad. Yeah. And then just the, the fact that like, so for example, I wanted to turn the AC off. And so you have to click into climate and then 
you can see AC and you can see that it's on, but you can't select it because you have to actually hit the bottom. There's a hard button on the bottom of the trackpad. Uh, you got you have to hit that, and then it brings up a sub menu, which you then can select. You see, that's that's exactly wrong. And I was like, what? Why For, there would sh- you do that? If you want to turn off AC, there should be a button, a physical button that you press off. And yeah, that's it. and well, I understand One- here too. Like they just want it to default to auto, and I I get that, but yeah. But even you know, in most other cars, even if you have automatic climate control, there's usually one button that turns everything off, turns off the AC, the fan, everything. You I know? probably could have turned when it you off. You turn it on, you... yeah. But <laughs> I, I just wanted to shut the air conditioner off. I didn't. Yeah. I wanted the vent still blowing. Like you know, it's just. I'm not sure what the decision making process is with this stuff, <laughs> but it just does. I don't get it either. Like. Um, why do I need to press three things just to do one function? Like that's to me, it, it, I, I, it's inexplicable. I, I can't, I can't understand why it's so difficult to use. Um, and then just to go back and forth, you know, there's multiple, it has a decent size screen, but you can, you can get confused about, you know, what I, what you're actually trying to select. And so I wound up having like two different nav screens up, you know, <laughs> the map and the map. And it was like, what the hell? Um, yeah. I've, I've struggled with that system on multiple Luxi and it's just, it's just not a good design. No, no. And it, like, I'm sure you could probably use the underlying uh, hardware and software, but you've got to clean up the user interface and make it better. Cause yeah. it's, it's just not, it's not great to use. And, and that's, you know, these days that's a real selling feature of a car, especially a premium car like this. Like somebody's going to try that car out. They're going to test drive it. They're going to plug in their device. It's, it's, it should come up. It should be easy to use. It should be easy to get the functions that you want. Um, and I know that at this end of the market too, you set everything up to your preferences and then it kind of, it becomes an extension of, of your other devices too. So the car just knows what you want and, and does it. It's not easy to do that here. Some cars, it's really easy to set them up. This one is not. So, um, but to drive it was was fine. It was. It was I, I appreciated the driving. It, that that three point five liter V six and the the um, automatic transmission that they have on that man Toyota does good powertrain. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They, um, they do. They do that well. Well, let's keep talking about powertrain um, because. The saddest news I've heard in a long time is that the Ford Mustang GT350. Did I get all the names? There's a Shelby GT350. Shelby GT350. Okay, so the Shelby GT350. It, it's ending production. So that Voodoo V8 um, with the flat plane crank is done. There's one final edition. You drove. So did you try out the Heritage Edition? Uh, we did. Um, yeah. They they brought out uh, some heritage editions last week and uh they they did a little local drive program here uh near ann arbor um over a couple of days and um got a chance to spend uh, about two and a half hours just tooling around in that thing and uh, it's glorious <laughs> i know it's i love glorious. that car <laughs> you know when back in 2013 i was actually working for an agency that was supporting ford communications um and <clears throat> you know i actually wrote the the press kit for the 2015 Mustang and and most of the um, the 50th anniversary of Mustang press materials over the course of 2013 and the early part of 2014 before I before I left there um, and took my my current job and mid somewhere around mid 2013 um, actually in early 13 I had been 
in the design studio for uh, you know for what they call an immersion, you know, where they they had a group of us, um, and we went through a bunch of different stuff, getting a deep dive on the new car, on the 2015 car. And one of the things in the studio was the clay model of the GT350. <laughs> no, yeah, pay, don't pay attention to that. Pay, pay yeah, no well, attention. no, no. I mean, they, they, I mean, you know, they they told us what it what it was, and you know, they didn't get any details at the time. And you know, later on, talking to um, to somebody in engineering, you know, I learned what was special about the GT350. You know, up to that point, for the previous decade, they had been doing GT500s with a supercharged V8, which they now have again. But the the GT350 was going to have a naturally aspirated V8. And um, at the time, I didn't know that it was going to be a flat plane crank V8. And a couple of months later, I was out on Oakwood Boulevard across the street from the, the test track, the, the Dearborn Development Center, uh, which is Ford's main proving grounds. And I saw a prototype Mustang coming out of the gate. And then I heard it as it was accelerating away. And it's like, what the? I had never heard a Mustang sound like that before. Right. And, you know, then when I sat down with the with the engineers at what was at the time still SVT, later renamed to Ford Performance, I learned all about what they had done on that engine. And, you know, there was a flat plane crank, 5.2 liter, um, and learned that it, you know, had a red line of 8,250 RPM. <laughs> <laughs> way higher than any Mustang ever. I know that's that was the thing when I drove it. I was like because you know what a muscle car sounds like when it's time to shift. Yeah. But then you realize like well, I'm not anywhere this thing just near just keeps shifting. on going. Yeah. It just yeah. feels so weird cuz it basically it revs like a VTEC Honda. You know? Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> um it, and it does not sound like one though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, and it's funny. You know, there there are other flat plane crank V8s. You know, usually in in high performance European cars. Yeah, the M3 you know, had um, one. The what was it? The E46 M3 or E90? Uh, E90 M3 had one, I think. Is it the E90? I yeah, the so. E9, E92 M3 had a flat plane crank V8, and so you know, the, the they tend to have a a very distinctive sound uh, that's quite unlike a, a typical V8 engine. Um, Although the uh, the one in the Mustang, the Voodoo V8, as they called it, was different, was a little bit different from those because it actually it had a different firing order from what you typically get uh, on most flat plane crank V8s, um, and so it it still has a little bit of that classic you know big V8 rumble mixed in with that that higher pitched sound from revving. And it just sounds amazing. And this, this is the thing, you know, I, I know we're going electric, you know, everything's going to be electric and, you know, they're, they're going to be faster than this thing. I mean, hell, the, the Mustang Mach-E GT is going to be faster than a GT350, you know, from zero to 60 but, and quarter mile. And we'll but talk about that, same, right. It, but it's not the same. It doesn't you know, with, matter. You, you, miss, <laughs> you miss that visceral feeling of the sound and the you know the vibration you know i mean v8s are smooth but they also they're still at idle they have that they have that little bit of that one little first bump. order yeah, yeah yeah that little that little rumble uh and it feels like it's alive and you don't get that from evs i, I remember back in 2008 when i first drove the the tesla roadster for the first time and the same thing you know it, it's you know it's incredibly fast and great handling and everything but it's quiet and it's like something's missing 
you know. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want a synthetic sound or, you know, you don't want a synthesized version of a naturally aspirated engine in that case, I don't think. But No, I actually, uh, I like the whale. I like to hear the whale of the engine and the, the uh, not the engine, the motor, the inverter, yeah. all of that hardware. And you get to hear the, the gearbox, too. So I, I think yeah. they could just well, go straight cut gears. Yeah. <laughs> well, make and, a and, shitload of noise. And, and that's, that's what they do on the Formula E race cars. Oh, do you know, they, they straight cut them? That, that, yeah, they're straight, straight cut gears. That's what makes the Formula Formula E cars sound so cool. They sound like TIE fighters. Yeah, they Star just Wars. Whale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and and they actually sound really cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, you don't usually get that in, in street cars. But anyway, the the GT350 is coming to an end. You know, they're in in production now with the GT500. Um, the 350 is done this week. They should be building out the last of them. They should the last of them should be rolling off the line in Flat Rock either this week or early next week. Uh, they'll finish up the last handful of them. Um, and this last batch that they built are what they call the Heritage Edition. They decided you know they were coming to the end of the line. They wanted to do the same livery that was on the original GT350s back in 1964, um, which was Wimbledon white. Uh, the same kind of slightly off-white shade that they had as you know, kind of the the standard color on the regular Mustangs at the time, and with these guardsman blue stripes over the top and along the rocker panels. And the thing is, Ford wanted to replicate that guardsman blue. They they knew how to do Wimbledon white because they've done that on various special edition Mustangs over the years, including the 2015 50th anniversary edition. But um, They've never, they never actually had painted Guardsman Blue because those were painted at Shelby American out in California, out in Venice, when they were huh. being built. Yeah, who knows so Ford, what was in that paint? Ford, Ford had no paint master <laughs> yeah. for it. But they, they went out to the Shelby archives in Las Vegas at Shelby American, and they actually found the paint master for uh, Guardsman Blue, and they brought it back to, to Michigan, and they, um, they, they managed to get it matched. They got a match for it, and the company— the the stripes on the GT350 are actually vinyl. They're not painted on, so the company the, the company their supplier for those stripes, they worked with them and went through a few iterations and and finally met, got a perfect match of the stripes with the um, the the paintmaster, and uh, they had they actually brought out a '65 GT350. You know, had it parked next to it, and you can see that it was the same color. Um, so the um, uh, the other, the other thing, the other main thing that they changed on the the Heritage Edition um, is the the Cobra badges on the the tail, the grill, and on the the um, uh, instrument panel. Uh, Typic traditionally, those are red. Um, on all the other GT350s, they've been red. For this one, they actually made them Guardsman blue, so it matches the stripes. Um, but other than that, it's it's you know basically standard GT350, and they were available um, either uh, as the, the the base GT350 or the 350R. I actually got to drive a 350R for a couple hours, and which is great because that's got um, the carbon fiber wheels on it and and the the really nice Recaro seats and everything. Yeah, and yeah the one was, I drove was a 350R, I think, yeah. and uh, it's been a, a few years. That's the only press car I've driven that that I had somebody pull up to me at a light and ask me to rev it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, I well, I had it in like you know completely open you know as open as you can get most you could hear the thing 
And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> this sounds so good. God, I love it, that car. <laughs> if, if, you, if you ever have a chance to drive a GT350, what you need to do is like take it in a parking garage yeah. or, or drive uh, you know, under a stone railroad bridge like I did a couple of times. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the place where we're driving, there's this old stone railroad bridge. And you know, rev, really rev the shit out of it as you're going under this and just <laughs> feel that echo off the stones. And you the know, Or drive and it to a tunnel. Yeah. yeah, it'll 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 a little it, overrun. Um, oh yeah, it's, no, it's, it's fabulous. It's it's one of those cars, and I'm sad that it's going away. I understand why it is, and and I'm sure the GT500 is performance wise better, but I'm just it's it's faster. Yeah, faster I, isn't I, I everything. Wouldn't, I wouldn't. That, that's what I was, that's what I was about to say. I I don't know that I would necessarily say it's better because it's also heavier. Yeah, you know, it's quite a bit heavier. Uh, I mean, it's. The GT500 is by far the best GT500 they've ever built. You know, unlike the past, you know, this is the first one with the, with the independent suspension and everything, and it's it's definitely a better handling car. But it is you know a couple you know like 400 pounds heavier than the GT350R. Yeah, that's you a know, lot. The 350R, the 350R, even with those massive brakes that are on it, is 3,700 pounds, and the you know the GT500 is about uh, 4,100 pounds. Ooh, I, that's 4,100 pounds. That's only a couple hundred pounds lighter than, than our Grand Cherokee. Yeah. <laughs> Which I do but, not want to drive around like that. You know? But, you know, if you put a big supercharged V8 in that Grand Cherokee, the Trackhawk, you know, you're up closer to 5,000 pounds, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's probably more than that, right? Yeah. With, with all the other stuff they put in there. But it's that that's the thing, though. Like, the numbers are just it, – it's – they're pointless because it's, yeah. the, it's the way that that car just it's the way it shakes. Honestly, it just like has yeah. that heartbeat. You know, you, the everything sort of sympathetically vibrates with that engine and the way it sounds and everything is just it, it makes it an experience. And the lighter lighter weight with thirty seven hundred pounds is not exactly light. But no. these days, just it's fine. Um, but the the way it's going to handle, and the the way you can you can manage the mass and and sort of you know throw it around a little bit like that, it was just a it was a sports car, not a Mustang. You know what I mean? Like it, it really, it had finally sort of really come into its own. It was just enough engine, um, and just enough uh, adhesion, more more chassis than engine. I think, which was sort of kind of the the flip side of Mustangs for so long. Right. Well, and that was always the the balance, you know, back in the '60s between the 350 and the 500. You know, the 350 was the small block engine. That, you know, that was the car that was designed to go SCCA road racing. Yeah. And you know, won a bunch of championships. The 500 was the drag car. That's the one you took to the strip. You know, and that eventually evolved, you know, into the Cobra Jet. You know, which was the the pure you know factory drag racing car. Yeah. Um, so you know those were <clears throat> the five hundreds were the big blocks back in the sixties. Yeah, I mean think about that a Falcon with an FE big block in it. Like that's just not a car that like <laughs> there's no way to make that actually handle very well. <laughs> no, and they didn't. They were terrible. Uh, but but they could go like go in a straight line like you know like yeah. nothing else. Fine, <laughs> not Although my the, thing. <laughs> but you know compared to compared to today's GT five hundreds, you know it, it was a dog. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> even, even with that big block, you know, it was only about uh, in SA gross horsepower, probably somewhere around three, 
three between 350 and 375 horsepower. Yeah, but at most was, it weighed like 3,000 pounds too. Like the Falcon. Like, oh, those big blocks were pretty heavy. The big those block was, those was were heavy. cast iron blocks. Yeah, but the the rest of the car was like 13 yeah. pounds. <laughs> there was nothing to them. Yeah. Uh, I think so. Even even though like. I, I almost want one of the old ones with the big block in it, even though it's going to be so terrible, just because it's going to be terrifying. And so you'll at least feel Oh, it's this terrifying, all right. I, yeah. I drove one in December when I was out in Vegas for the GT500 <laughs> drive. They had a 68 GT500 out there that Haggerty brought out. And, you know, it, uh, you know, I mean, it looked great, but, yeah. uh, you know, com- compared to driving a modern car, you know, it was, it was terrible. I mean, you know, all kinds of <laughs> slop in the steering wheel and halfway through the brake pedal travel before it, much of anything happens. And, yeah. And it's all drums. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it had discs on the front. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, but that's, that's sort of the thing. Like you get all of this cold competence and I, I feel like the, the GT 350 had that, that balance of like, it still it still had a bit of raw edge to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and I I I like that in a car. Um, but it's not all bad. I mean, in the spring they're going to have the the Mach One uh, is going to be available, uh, which you know is not quite a, a 350. You know, it kind of cuts you know kind of a, a blend between a GT and a and a GT 350. So it has the regular five liter cross plane crank V8. Uh, but it's up to I think 485 or 490 horsepower, um, and you know it, it doesn't quite have the the look of the the GT350. But you know it'll it'll still be plenty of fun. I look. I mean, we, I can we really complain about the Mustang? No. Like we're we're splitting hairs here, and like yeah. the, yes, it's a very special car. We very much liked the engine. It's neat. Uh, there's not really much to complain about with the crossplane no. V8 or anything like that. The, is that still the Coyote? It's the Coyote, right? Like the it's it's based on the Coyote block, um, but it's it's a modified version of the block, uh, bigger bores, and it has the uh, the plasma coated bores. Yeah. On it, um, like the like the GT500s do. So instead of um, uh, steel liners in there. Uh, it's aluminum liners with a, a plasma coating on there, on there to uh, give it the durability it needs to, to rev to 8,250 8, RPM. Yeah, that's a good time. So, yeah. uh, I think it's it's more of just like a thank you, Ford, for <laughs> for building it for a couple of years. And I honestly, I don't know how it sold. Like that might be the other thing too. It's like they're like we're not we're done losing money on this thing. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think they lost money on it. Um, you know, they, they sold several thousand a year, uh, over its run, which was, which was good. Um, and you know, one of the things that was explained to me was, you know, back in 2007, when they, um, relaunched the, um, the GT 500, the, um, prior to that, they had the SVT Cobra, so on the S197 Mustangs, the old, uh, the, the previous generation, uh, they had, uh, or rather on the SN95s, uh, sorry, the, the GT500 was the S197. On the SN95s, it was called, the, the supercharged high-end version was just the SVT Cobra. And one of the things that they learned from that program is while people liked them, they didn't actually get any extra profit margin on them. You know, it was like a couple hundred dollars extra profit margin on them versus selling a GT. Uh, so they were at a higher price point, but the gap between the cost and what they, what they, the revenue was, you know, was not much different. 
one of the things they learned was when they put a Shelby badge on it, they could charge a lot more money. People would pay a lot more money for the same car with a Shelby badge. Shelby noticed that like, too. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh he he did. Yeah. Um, and so you know they they sell those at a at a much higher profit margin than they do you know standard Mustangs. So they they certainly made money on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, good for them. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like it's bad for us anyway. They're still coming out with cool stuff. Yeah. I think our point with the GT350, GT500 conversation was that, you know, like the numbers are kind of, they're not as material as you would think. Um, and with uh, electric vehicles, I think that one of the things that every time there's a new electric vehicle out there, new EV comes out, A, it's an, a luxury car, and B, they talk about how scorchingly quick it gets to 60 miles an hour. Like, you know, get, this one does it in like a half a second. Um, yeah. It, such nonsense the numbers don't matter um when to to 60 like we've proven that that yes they have lots and lots of torque and they can get it to the ground very effectively so what (laughs) my point exactly i I wrote a a post on our company blog at guidehouseinsights.com um and you know it's it's gotten so ridiculous you know you know with something like the gt350 I wasn't driving it anywhere near its limits and I still had a ball with it. Um, the, it didn't need to be as powerful as it was, you know, it was 525 horsepower. It didn't need to be that powerful. Just my, my car, my personal car, my Miata, certainly nowhere near that. You know, it was like 116 horsepower when it was new 30 years ago. And who knows what it is now? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, rec- I actually recently, I, found my uh, my old performance timer and stuck it on there and went out and did some zero to 60 runs and it was about nine and a half seconds that's plenty it it doesn't matter because it's so much fun to drive evs you know starting with the tesla roadster you know one of the things that tesla did with the roadster was demonstrate that evs could be fun you know they didn't have to be you know this you know slow appliance you know a golf cart they, they proved that it could be an exciting car. And the the Roadster, you know, did zero to 60 in four seconds. Four seconds uh, to 60 is, like, that's Corvette C6 that's, fast. That, that that's is, fast. Yeah, it's, it's really fast. Uh, so, you know, what, what we're seeing now, you know, with some of these high-end EVs is just getting absurd. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Lucid and the launch of the Lucid Air. And at the time, they said one of the, one of the things they were claiming was, you know, this thing would go, um, do it run a quarter mile in 9.9 seconds, you know, which is, I mean, that's Dodge Demon numbers, you know, for a, a luxury four-door sedan. Somebody's just going to plow yeah. that into like a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, you know, and, no. and, you know, we've been seeing, you know, from Tesla for, for several years now with the Model S and the Model X and the, the Y, and we've seen Faraday Future claiming that they're quicker, you know, getting into like the low two-second range, zero to 60 you know, that that is just ridiculously fast. We don't need cars that go that fast, you know, unless you're planning to take these things to a track. And this is that's the only place where you should be using that kind of performance is on a track. There's no way you should be accelerating that fast on public streets. It, it's it's totally irresponsible. And I'm somebody that likes to drive fast. And I don't do that kind of nonsense when there's especially if there's anybody around. 
uh, you know, this is, we don't need EVs to be that fast. Um, I remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a controversy in Europe because a lot of uh, high-end German cars, you know, were, were getting, you know, they were approaching top speeds of 200 miles an hour, you know, when they had cars like the original AMG Hammer and, and some of these hmm. other ones. And they, the German government actually threatened to impose speed limits on all of the Autobahn. And so the industry actually came together and said, okay, look, don't do that. Don't, don't do the speed limits on the Autobahn. We will voluntarily agree to limit the top speed of our cars to 155 miles an hour, 250 and, kilometers and, and per hour. And they did until you took it to somebody like AMG, which then would remove well, the speed limit. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they, they at least did something. Yeah. And I think it's time, you know, for EV makers, you know, now, you know, last week at the Tesla battery day, you know, Musk talked about, um, you know, the uh, Model S Plaid, you know, which is going to be a three-motor version of the Model S. There's also a three-motor version of the, the Lucid Air. You know, they were saying they were uh, they just the day before, or a couple of days before Battery Day, uh, they took it to Laguna Seca and, you know, set a record for, you know, a four-door production tent car uh, and, you know, did quarter mile in 9.2 seconds with this thing. Jesus. And, you know, then the, the Model S Plaid went even faster. Okay, you've made your point. These things are faster than we could make any um, production internal combustion cars. Frankly, I don't think we should be making internal combustion cars that fast either. I, you know, yeah. You know, 1,500-horsepower Bugatti Chirons is just it's stupid. It's idiotic. Um, and I, I think that we need to, to back off and stop putting so much emphasis on the, the acceleration performance of these things because – the reality is most drivers cannot handle that level of performance. They, I, they, quite they honestly, the training. I, there's, it's still rare for a car to be that quick. I, I wouldn't want to try to exploit that kind of performance. And, and you know, I've, I've driven a lot of high-performance cars. Uh, zero to 60 that fast is like, that's, that's fast. And, a, and a, you know, something that's going to be able to get up to 130, 140 miles an hour without a much of a problem that's really fast yeah. <laughs> and well um, unless you do it a lot you you do not have enough practice to to no, understand how quickly you're on top of things how how tiny your inputs need to be to not upset the car like no don't don't do it yeah. and it's you know it's all it's only getting worse i mean lotus is about to launch the production version of the avaya their first electric car you know they've been going through final validation testing recently um, and this, you know, they're, they're only going to build 130 of these and they're going to cost $2 million and it's got 2000 horsepower. That's why? <laughs> Fine. Why? I, I mean, you know, so here's the I thing mean, that I in just... the case of the Avaya, most of those are going to end up being garage Queens anyway. They're, they're never going to get driven, <laughs> but yeah. Cause I'm sure they're actually going to drive really well. Cause they're a Lotus. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, the thing that I just come back to is like, well, these are about energy efficiency, but they're not really like, I think it's great that it's been proven that they can be fun. They can be desirable. Uh, they, they can be a different niche in the market. Great. All of that is really good because it's created demand and it's created conversation. And like, these are all good things, but what if you just backed off the performance a little bit? 
<laughs> and, well, you know, maybe you, know, the, you can the, be more efficient. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the reality is, you know, certainly, you know, Lucid's done a lot to improve efficiency. Tesla's, you know, doing a lot for efficiency. You know, that's, that's great. But, you know, you're certainly not going to achieve that efficiency when you're using that level of performance, you know, right. to, to get that, you know, to get 500 miles of range, you know, you're not going to accelerate to zero, zero to 60 in two seconds. Um, you know, you do that, you're going to get closer to a hundred miles of range. But, uh, you know, at this point, it's really more about the, the leaders of these companies, you know, it's a, you know, it's a measuring contest, right. and I'm not talking about measuring the speed of the, the the vehicles. Yes, I mean, well, and it takes a certain kind of person. I, I'm using the word "person" is just staying in for whatever, but it takes a certain kind of person to to be the figurehead for one of these companies, partially because I think the the paradigm was set with Tesla, where you have this kind of demagogue at the head of the company. Um, and we've seen some other other ways of doing it. You know, the, Lucid, for example, is is a sort of an all star team of experienced professionals. Um, but you know, Rivian and uh, Nikola, they both sort of have their own guy at the you know at the the top, who's sort of well. Nikola's you know Trevor Milton's gone now. But. Well, yeah, that that's. I don't That's know enough about story. that situation. It it just sounds really messy and and uh, whatever. Um, but you know, like that's the thing. There was there's a an EV company, and then there's the person who's at the top, who is sort of like the mastermind, right? And um, that needs to go away, <laughs> quite honestly. Yeah. Like uh, because it's it's more of that like that hero complex thing, right? Like it's it's a it's a sort of tech leaning i um paradigm like steve jobs at apple or the cult of personality yeah exactly that's that's a perfect way to put it and and i'm all set with that <laughs> i think a lot of people are uh we could just give us good products and products that don't use um a, a lot of energy in any way you know like you still have to put the electricity in the batteries so try to keep as much in the battery for as long as possible <laughs> It only holds like what three gallons of gas worth of energy. I mean, you know, come on, uh, try to try to do a good job with that. Um, so I'd be really curious to see, like, if we set, if we said, hey, we're gonna make an EV. It's gonna cost thirty five thousand dollars. It's gonna go zero to sixty in nine ten seconds. Um, but it's it's you know it's going to go 500 miles. Like, I think that's something we could probably do or get to pretty. You could even do, you know, faster than that, you know, zero to 60 in six seconds, you know, or even five seconds is fine. You know, the, a Chevy bolt, you know, will do zero to 60 in about six and a half seconds. That's pretty quick. And and that's, that's quick. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, that's plenty quick enough, you know, and you know, for higher end cars, you know, do it in five seconds. That's, that's not crazy. That's not unreasonable. I you know I think that's that's perfectly acceptable, you know. Beyond that, you know, and and this goes for for internal combustion cars too. I think we need to start backing off on some of the performance and and focus on other areas. Yeah, I think actually it goes more for internal combustion cars because the yeah. the you can't, you know, with like a with an EV, it's just kind of like a rheostat. Um, 
where like if you're not using it you're not using it but you you can't really dial back you can use like cylinder deactivation and stuff on an internal combustion engine and sort of dial it back but there's no way to make it as efficient as an ev when you're not using all the potential you know so yeah definitely like I, i'm okay with slower cars that are more fun to drive you know make them lighter make them mm-hmm. make them smaller make them make them slower it's fine like it's like i mean the cx30 it was it was not all that fast but i had a really good time in it miata is a perfect example too so yeah. uh this episode has been sponsored by mazda <laughs> <laughs> they released all the specs um finally on the powertrains for the the new 2021 f-150 which uh will be driving uh in early november um they're they're They've launched production. They've started production in Dearborn, and um, about uh, four weeks from now, I'll have the first drive of that. Uh, and this is this one. Uh, this generation is the first one to have a hybrid powertrain, which they for a couple of years now they've been talking about. You know, they're doing things a little bit different with this hybrid. Um, they're they're really focusing on people that are using these things as a truck. So the goal was to not sacrifice capability, uh, but to enhance capability while still, um, you know, maintaining good fuel economy. So it's not designed for, you know, ultimate, you know, fuel economy, but um, to, to give you good fuel economy while still have, being able to tow 12,700 pounds um, and have a payload of 2,100 pounds in this thing, which is really impressive. Um, you know, it's slightly less than what you get with the five liter V8, um, you know, which does 13,000 pound towing or the three point, the standard 3.5 liter EcoBoost, which is 14,000 pounds towing. Um, but, uh, the, you know, the, the power boost, you know, combines the, the EcoBoost V6 with an electric motor that is, it's Ford's modular hybrid design. So the motor sits in between, um, the engine and, the torque converter, um, or is it? It's somewhere. I can't remember. I, it, I can't remember if the torque converter is before or after the electric motor. But anyway, uh, it's, in there. It's, it's in there in the transmission. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. I was gonna say I would assume it's after it because if you put it before, you've got to drive through. You've got to lose efficiency through the torque converter, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, so engine torque converter uh, and then electric motor and then the transmission, and one of the the cool features that they have with this is uh you know electric power generation from this thing uh so the standard with the power boost is 2.4 kilowatt uh power output for to power tools at a work site uh, or anywhere else you know power any equipment that an electrical equipment that you want and then the optional upgrade is 7.4 or uh, 7.2 kilowatts including a 240 volt uh, outlet. <laughs> you can so, run your dryer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can run your dryer, or you know, for you know, for contractors, you know, you can run a, a welder off of that, uh, or oh, yeah. you know, a lot of other, a lot of other equipment. And what this does, because this setup is more efficient um, compared to you know, a lot of contractors, uh, they will take uh, a gas generator. You yep. know, they'll haul around a gas generator in their truck, take that to a job site, and use that to power their tools and you know, charge up their tools. Uh, you know, those tend to be 
dirtier. You know, they don't have emission controls on them. They, they're not as fuel efficient. This is going to be much more fuel efficient. Even even if you deplete the battery and you're, you've got the engine running, it's still going to be a, a cleaner, more efficient setup than running a gas generator. And it's quiet. So, oh, my and, God. And it's so much, much more quieter. quieter. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is this is going to be a pretty impressive setup, you know, for anybody that needs power uh, to, to power other equipment. Um, you know, and I think I think that uh, it's uh, it's going to it's going to be a very appealing uh, configuration. And it's only I think it's like a it's less than two thousand dollar premium over the the base, uh, the standard three point five liter EcoBoost. If what I've uh, seen from truck prices holds true lately, though, this is yeah. going to be like a forty five thousand dollar base price truck. Um, in this yeah, I, I went through. I, I went through the configurator, you know, because you can actually get this like on the lower, like on the XLT. Oh, do they have the build-in price up? Is that yeah? Okay. Yeah, it's 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 available now, and I, I went through it. You can you can actually get the hybrid, you know, for in the low forty thousand dollar range. I think it might even be less than that. Uh, which you know, it's, it's funny, you know, back in the the late two thousands, two thousand seven, eight, nine. Uh, when GM introduced their two-mode hybrid on the full-size SUVs and on the uh, pickup trucks, you know, at that time it was that system was a twenty thousand dollar yeah, price premium. It, it was, was very really expensive. Expen- yeah. Actually, the price premium was not twenty; it was about it was about ten grand. But the cost to GM was about twenty thousand dollars. GM has this habit of it. like shooting themselves in the foot with the, tr- the, the like the Sierra C3 was the same thing where it had that that rear wheel steering, and they they eventually like. Sold them off for less than the price of just the parts. Yeah, <laughs> to, to build it because they're like, yeah, whatever. We we can't make money on that thing. So hopefully they do better. Yeah. <laughs> on the uh, next. So uh, you know this this one it should it should do pretty well. I think I think it I think it's going to be a popular option for for customers that need this kind of capability. Um, you know certainly you know if you're towing twelve and a half thousand pounds with this thing, you're not going to get twenty three miles per gallon, which is what it's rated at. But uh, you know, it, it'll it should still do pretty well. Yeah, it. I mean, I I just like how thoughtful Ford has been with all of their updates to this particular generation. You know, the, the 2021 F150 really sounds like uh, Ford is aggressively protecting its its biggest money maker, which they they absolutely should. Um, but they're making really significant thoughtful improvements that. Um, will please the people who use the trucks, you know, in a wide variety of ways. And I saw a hilarious uh, story that to test it, the engineers took like a stove and <laughs> yeah. a bunch of stuff down to like a, uh, a, a camping um, facility or something. And they had all this electrical stuff in the back of the, back of the truck, which I thought, that's great. That's, <laughs> um, you know, so there's the contractor use for the, the, the upgraded, you know, with the 220 volt and stuff, you know, is there, is there really a practical use for that for the, the casual buyer of the F-150? Because there's a lot of those buyers too. Like what would compel you to buy that? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I, I would think you, you're probably, it's, you know, if, if what you're looking for is the best fuel efficiency, um, you're actually better off with the 2.7 liter EcoBoost. I think that's actually the most. Uh, well, it depends. Uh, if you're if you're towing, your best fuel efficiency option is going to be the three liter diesel. 
that's you know, that's, that's a the good one. engine. Oh my goodness. That's a great engine, yeah. and it's the one that you know when you're towing, you're not going to lose all. You know, it's still going to have decent fuel economy even when you're towing. You know, you can you can tow you know ten thousand pounds with that and still be getting twenty five miles per gallon. Whereas you know you do that with an EcoBoost V6, and you're getting about fourteen or fifteen miles per gallon. Um, for just the average person, you know, if you're not towing all the time, uh, if you're you know doing occasional towing or you know just hauling stuff in the bed, the 2.7 liter EcoBoost is probably the best option. Uh, that's going to get you the best combination of fuel economy and um, you know price and uh, you know affordability and capability. Um, and then you know the, the the hybrid is really if you need you know that that really high-end towing capability and the power takeoff capability that's that's where you're going to get the advantage there yeah i think they have a lot of choices i'm just looking at it now so the the standard engine is a 3.3 liter v6 which i didn't i didn't realize they made <laughs> yeah that you know they don't you know those are mostly sold to fleets that want the cheapest possible truck yeah that makes sense um, not not too many consumers buy those um, and then they've got the the the, the Nano, the two point seven, the three point five, and the, the it looks the, like the, the two se- the two sevens the most popular option. Yeah, you which know, makes sense. That's, that's such a good engine. It's so punchy yeah. and, and um, it is pretty efficient. Um, so the hybrid is really like uh, in an XLT, like a crew cab. It's yeah, it's about forty five thousand dollar starting price for the hybrid because uh, it's it's uh, forty forty two six fifty for the the crew cab. And it's a forty-seven one forty-five with the hybrid. So, yeah, you, you can you can get an XL oh, with the hybrid. Oh, can XL with the hybrid? Okay. Yeah, for like forty-three-five. So that's I mean it's it's priced very aggressively. You know, there's a, yeah. there's there's so many options in Truckville. <laughs> yeah. That uh, you can get exactly what you want. Um, so somebody was asking me today too. When is the um, when is the Super Duty? coming and we I, and i i didn't have an answer other than like well we're probably going to ride well, 2021 they just, they just did a mid-cycle update on the super duties for 2020 yeah I, it's okay so um, if, it, if so, they did a mid-cycle for 2020 then we're probably not going to yeah. see them till like 2023 or 24 right? yeah I, I, would, I would think 2023 probably yeah so be a little i i thought they'd been a little bit sooner i, I thought we might see them in in 21 as 22s but um yeah, no, I think I think it'll probably be twenty two as a twenty three model year. Yeah. So late late twenty two. So a couple of years from now. It, it, they're not bad trucks though. <laughs> no. I, I liked the uh the I had an F three fifty a while ago and it, it was not gnarly even though it had a you know Yeah, and you know, they just got that new seven point three liter gas engine in the Super Duties and they still have the six point seven liter diesel, so Yeah. Um but yeah, it's, it's trucks are trucks are where there's that uh sort of all the emphasis right now. <laughs> everything else is kind of slacked off um so all right did we have any we did have some questions from twitter uh we, are there we, any others uh we had a couple of email questions <clears throat> first one is from tristan ollie uh tristan says uh, big fan of the show really enjoy how in-depth you go on the industry as opposed to just talking about zero to 60 times uh, <laughs> Re- rebecca has been a great addition and I enjoy the different points of view you bring from your experience in the industry <clears throat> my question for all of you is what is the future of the manual transmission with most brands planning to electrify their entire lineups? Uh, every vehicle I've ever owned has been a manual, starting with my 1993 Toyota Celica. Uh, will we see hybrid cars with manuals? 
Um, having the fun of a manual with some extra fuel economy sounds like a win. I know the CRZ was available with a manual. Is there a technical reason newer cars could not use a similar setup or just the market for such a vehicle is too small? Well, Tristan, uh, unfortunately, the answer is there is no future for manual transmissions. <laughs> um, I, I think, though, because the market is too small. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and really, you know, with um, with electric vehicles, you don't even really need a transmission at all. I mean, electric vehicle most most EVs just have a single speed setup, which is nothing more than a reduction gear, you know, to get you down from. You know the, the electric motors run at much higher speeds than uh, than you know than the wheels need to turn. So you basically just have a reduction gear set on there, which is you know essentially just a final drive. Um, so not really a transmission at all. There's a few like the Porsche Taycan actually has a two-speed transmission on the rear axle and a single speed on the front axle, uh, which theoretically can get you a little better efficiency. Um, because you can get the the motor running more in its sweet spot, but uh, you know for the most part you're you're not going to see manual transmissions with electrics, and even with hybrids. You know most hybrids don't even use. Uh, you know the CRZ was like the last hybrid, the last hybrid with a manual. You know the the, the first generation Insight also offered a manual. Yeah, well, I think the CRZ was kind of an extension of that integrated motor. It was, yeah, kind of set. and it it wasn't. It wasn't awful to drive, but it it wasn't great either. If I, no. like, it was it was not sporty, which no, the, so the CRZ kind of sold itself as something that it wasn't. It's still, I mean, it's a fun car. It's a nice curiosity, um, but yeah, I, I I think that you really just um, the the manual transmission is a thing from the past. It's fun to drive. It's a thing that you know we all take pride in mastering. Um, although, I mean, think about it now. It's not that hard because <laughs> yeah. we all mastered it when we were teenagers, right? Like, the, um, there, there, you know, there is another thing about manual transmissions as well, um, and one of the reasons why manufacturers have moved away from them, besides just the lack of demand from consumers, uh, it, it used to be that manual transmissions would get better fuel economy than automatics. And that's no longer the case with modern automatic transmissions that have, you know, seven, eight, ten gears and electronic controls now you know they can they manage the engine and the transmission together and they can really optimize you know the operation of the two to maximize fuel economy at least on you know the the test cycles Uh, but even even real world you can usually get better fuel economy with a modern automatic transmission than you can with a manual um, just because it's it shifts much more precisely uh, much faster than you know than you can shift a manual, uh, and it's because it's you know it, it's operating in its sweet spot more of the time. Um, you're just never going to be able to match that with a manual transmission, and that's that's part of why ma- uh, manufacturers have moved away from them. Yeah, I mean manuals are like it's a reactive thing, right? Like for for the emissions, and that's one of the reasons actually why a modern manual is kind of unpleasant to drive. Uh, when we get them um, in in media cars, they're not like the old manuals. You know, uh, there's a lot of electronics going on, and so it's it's actually kind of hard sometimes to drive certain vehicles with the manual transmission smoothly because 
there's it's feathering the throttle for you it's messing with the clutch and and the the emissions need to be so tightly controlled that you know you can't just dump it into third gear. i mean you can but you need know, dump it into third gear and you know short shift and and it's 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 not like it used to be um, there's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff between happening between your right foot and the engine uh, yeah you know, and the cylinders that is out of your control yeah there's a lot of filter um yeah and and so that makes it less pleasant and less rewarding than it used to be and you know yeah i mean i think at the end of the day, we'll probably see transmissions stick around on, on EVs as we start going for, you know, more and more uh, range and efficiency. Like that's a way to achieve that. But, you know, Tesla had a problem with their first with the Roadster, right? It was supposed to have a two speed gearbox and they never got that working right. So um, it, it's they, they had a, they had a tendency to break after about a thousand miles or so. Yes, yeah, that's, that's no good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and they're not the only ones. Like it's it's a tricky thing, you know. A, a gearbox that can stand up to that kind of torque is electric motors. They they can give you all the torque you want <laughs> um, instantly. Uh, and that's that's why you don't really need a transmission so much anymore. You know. The, um, so that's that's it's not a bad thing though because you you wind up with a less complex vehicle less stuff to break and less expensive which you know goes into the batteries <laughs> which are more expensive yeah i don't know um so unfortunately i i agree i think the market uh for manuals is going away so hang on to your your car whatever you're driving now hang on to it if it has a manual all right um, next up, uh, Joshua Brentano is asking, uh, we have two young kids and we're approaching the age where we can start some extended road trips. So it's time for a minivan. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I have two questions. We want it fully loaded. What is your recommendation for a fully loaded minivan? Uh, I've looked over and over at the offerings from all the manufacturers and they all seem sort of similar. Uh, I feel like I'm always narrowing it down to Honda and Chrysler, but I'm open to your expertise. We may very well be replacing my dad's, uh, question number two, we may very well be replacing my dad's 3 Series BMW, so it'd be awesome if I could soup it up. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming he's referring to the minivan. Dad would like to be a, uh, would like it to be fun to drive and cool to look at. Um, <laughs> LOL. Do any of these makes have any kind of decent aftermarket or performance parts for minivans? Thanks for a fun and informative show, Joshua. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's there's no longer a whole lot of options for minivans. You're basically down to four. Um, the Chrysler Pacifica, the Honda Odyssey, Toyota Sienna, which is all new for 2021, uh, and the um, Kia uh, Sedona, uh, which is also getting a redesign for 2021. Um, certainly, you know, we haven't tried out the, the new... Um, the new Sienna yet, uh, you know, I have a feeling that it's going to feel very much like um, the new Highlander, which is fine. You know, it's certainly <laughs> not something that I would call sporty or fun, but it's, you know, it's effective. Um, to be honest, I wouldn't call any of these particularly sporty or fun, but, you know, they're they're designed for a task, which is to move people and stuff and, you know, do it very effectively. Um, you know, the, the Honda, the Odyssey and the uh, Pacifica are both excellent at doing that job. I, I, yeah. I think my pick for like an actual practical family van would be the Pacifica. Um, because it, yeah, it, it really does. It comes down to those two, the Odyssey and the Pacifica, because that the Sienna is not here yet. And 
I don't know. It's been forever since I was last into Sedona, but it looks better than it drives. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. As far as aftermarket stuff, um, I, I looked around earlier today <laughs> and didn't really find any aftermarket performance stuff still for, for the, any of these. I, yeah. I think anything for uh, most things for an Accord uh, would probably fit the Odyssey. Um, and there's some JDM stuff, right? Like there are, there's just some people who modify them, modify the Odyssey. I don't think there's any enthusiasm for the Pacifica no. <laughs> in the aftermarket at all. Yeah, you know, Mopar does make a bunch of accessories, uh, you know, appearance-wise for the Pacifica. Uh, so, you know, you can certainly you know, soup up the looks a little bit, um, but you're not really going to find any performance stuff for it. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think uh, you don't you don't want it. <laughs> yeah, not not in a minivan. Um, yeah, the, the Odyssey, uh, from what I've observed, hits a midlife crisis around one hundred and ten, hundred and thirty thousand miles. Where it's just like there's there's some expensive stuff that needs fixing um, on those. I don't know what the Pacifica is like, so you should definitely, if you plan to keep it for a very long time and get all your money out of it, um, check out sort of the long term reliability. Um, but try try several different uh, sites or, or whatever uh, because, like, you know, Consumer Reports, I don't know that enough Consumer Reports readers buy Chryslers. They tend to be very loyal to Toyota and Honda. So I don't know that there's enough data there. So to look around and see what kind of data you might find about sort of long-term ownership experience and, and you know, bear that in mind because what parent wants to be, you know, taking a loss on the thing in three years when yeah. you have college funds to raid. <laughs> one, one, one thing you might want to consider, um, since you're probably not going to have any real performance options, um, is the Pacifica hybrid, which is a, a plug-in hybrid with like 32, 33 miles of electric range. It's awesome. And, and for your around town driving, you know, if you plug it in at night, unplug it in the morning, you can basically do most of your driving completely on electricity without ever using any gas. Uh, and, you know, then when it's time for those road trips, um, and are you really sure you want to do that? Um, but, you know, <laughs> when it comes time for those road trips, you don't have to really plan, you know, where you're going to stop for charging, you know, like you would if it was a pure EV. You just drive it like a hybrid, and it gets really good fuel economy even, you know, in hybrid mode. So that's something to consider. Um, also, the 2021 Pacifica, um, that's launching imminently. Um, you know, it's getting a mid-cycle update. It's going to be the first, one of the first uh, FCA vehicles to get their new Uconnect 5 infotainment system, um, which is thoroughly updated, much much improved from Uconnect 4. Yeah, I think I got um, a walkthrough of that back uh, a couple of months ago, and I was impressed with how thoughtful they were about it and how they, you know, they did listen to user feedback and, and, you know, adjusted touch targets. And there's a lot of, a lot of customization you can do with it. And, and so that will be a good upgrade. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, you know, the, both of them, you know, offer a lot of features, you know, you've got lots of USB ports all around for charging devices, you know, so the kids, you know, if they've got uh, tablets or laptops or something, you know, or what or games that they want to play, um, you know, they can keep those charged so they're not pestering you too much. Um, you know, you've got, um, you know, lots of space in there for, you know, all of the essentials that you have to take along when you're when you're hauling kids along with you. So, you know, I think either one of them would be an excellent choice. I, I think, honestly, like the, the Pacifica is the one I would choose. 
I just think it it has the best combination of features. It's the the best priced out there. I think you you just you're just likely to get a better deal on it. Um, it it looks better. It drives better. Well, the Honda has a little bit of sportiness to it, um, but it's. I, I don't know. I think as an overall package, the Pacifica is really, really tough to beat. Um, the hybrid, you do miss out on stow-and-go, but if you if you don't get the hybrid, you, you get the stow-and-go seats, which is nice. Um, but that, I don't know that that's a deal-breaker without them. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I think that they know what they're doing with the van, and that's a, that's a really well-done van. Um, and kids love vans. If you have yeah. to put your kids in a van, because, you know, most cars these days are tanks. They can't see out of them. My kids lost their minds <laughs> the first time we had a minivan as a media loan. Because you put them in it and you put their seats in there, you know, and you, you latch And they can actually in. see out. Yeah, because they're big windows in the side. They were like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, do do it and enjoy yourself. Uh, it's it's hard to buy a bad van, but the, uh, the, yeah. o- the other great thing about minivans is sliding doors. Yes. You know, if you're putting those kids into booster seats, um, you know, the sliding doors are just so infinitely superior to conventional hinge doors on an SUV. Yeah, you because know, first of all, you know, it's it's not up. It's de- definitely generally not up as high and up as high. So it's easier for you to uh, handle the kids getting in and out. You know, they can move around easier. You know, if they're getting into the third row, uh, it's easier to maneuver around in there than, than in a typical SUV. Um, it, one one of the nice things about the Odyssey uh, that is unique to the Odyssey is the second row um, you can actually move the seats side to side. Oh, that's right. The, ma- the magic slide seat or whatever they call it. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you know, if you've got two, did you say how many kids? Yeah. You've got two, two kids, you know, so, you know, if you need to have them physically separated, <laughs> why would you they ever move, need to be physically separated? You know, um, you can, you can have the seats pushed out to the sides and have a walkthrough, uh, to the third row. Um, or, you know, if they, you know, want to play a game together or something, you can slide one of them, slide either one of them over to the other side and put them side by side. So you have, you have a bunch of different options in there. Uh, so that's, that's definitely something to consider with the Honda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let us know what you get. Um, the, the Pacifica, if you buy the, like a high end one too, with the screens, it has games on the screens. Yes. They've got built in games. So. Which, you know, keeps the peace for about 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we had a couple of a uh, couple of Twitter questions. Um, one of them was just a suggestion to uh, basically attack each other over nothing, but this this is not Fox, um, so we won't be doing that. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, D Levine sixty one says, "Is my lust for a sixty eight sixty nine Thunderbird with a four twenty eight wrong?" Um, I I don't find anything wrong with that. Do you do you have any any thoughts, Sam? Uh, you know, no, I mean, you know, if that if that's your thing, you know, if you like, you know, big, heavy, big blocks, you know, in, in big, heavy, big cars, <laughs> yeah, that you know, that can't really go around corners, but um, you know, it's it's a cool looking car. A sixty, I can't remember what a sixty-eight, sixty-nine Thunderbird is. That the one with the hidden lights? Um, uh, no, that was before the hidden lights. I think that was the seventies ones. Okay, I yeah, I mean, those. Oh yeah, these are the ones that look like Oldsmobiles. Yeah. Knock yourself out, man. Have a good time. Yeah. 
Um, actually, they did have hidden lights. Yeah, yeah I, forgot uh, about I that. see the first first ones that come up. Actually, uh, they had the lights open. Yeah, that so. that was that was actually a cool looking car, especially the uh, the coupe. But even even the four door um, Thunderbird, you know, was, was kind of neat looking. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, if it's if you like that style, go for it. It's not. There's just really nothing wrong with the four twenty eight. It's just you know enough cast iron to make the Titanic. <laughs> um, let's see uh do you think the psa and fca merger will be approved by the eu uh also why is mike manley shunned from the board of stellantis uh right now this seems like a psa takeover of chrysler kind of like daimler chrysler's merger of equals yeah you know i think it will get approved um you know i don't see any reason why they wouldn't um Especially, you know, given the way the auto industry is going, you know, it's we're going to be seeing more consolidation in the industry. Uh, that's just a, a reality. Um, and as far as Manly goes, um, you know, I was reading about this. Um, the merger agreement was uh, because, you know, this is going to be a European-based company. So they have uh, a board of supervisors, um, which is like the board of directors, but a little bit different. Um, and, uh, one of the thing, you know, the, in the merger agreement, they said that they would only have one, um, let's see, one, uh, only one, one, uh, representative from each of the companies. So Carlos Tavares from PSA, uh, and, um, John, um, Alcan from, you know, uh, from the, um, Daniele family that uh, is a major stockholder in PSA. He, he's the chairman of the holding company uh, that owns the biggest shareholder in, in FCA. So he's also going to be on the board. Uh, as far as we know, you know, Manley is sticking around in an executive role. He's just not going to be on the board. Um, others, you know, other members of the supervisory board will be outsiders not coming from either of the two companies. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I think that it's it's more complementary too than the um, the Daimler Chrysler merger of equals. That uh, you know Chrysler doesn't have any new car platforms or small car platforms, and those are two areas where even if they wanted to make a small crossover, they don't have a platform for it. Uh, so they could use it. They have you know Jeep and Ram, and they've managed to. <laughs> Keep you know, FCA has got strength in in commercial vehicles and trucks yeah. and SUVs. That's true. The, and, a lot of the uh, the Promasters and stuff are, are right. And and P PSA, you know, more on the the smaller to mid sized cars and and smaller utilities. So and and PSA, you know, also has more strength on electric vehicle platforms than FCA does. Yeah, and so it makes sense that FCA and and it's not that FCA hasn't been developing EVs and hybrids and stuff that just. You know, it makes sense that if they're going to buy into another company that's also been doing it, they're going to they're going to maybe take their foot off the pedal a little bit and see where they can they can lash things together instead of uh, committing too much to a technology that's a dead end because it can't be used across all the brands. So there's a lot that has to, to go on. I hope that it works out better than the merger of equals that kind of didn't uh, as a <laughs> cultural clash. I don't. Yeah. I don't know that the the French kind of you know because they're 
and this is this is broad generalization generalizations but you know the 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 french uh sort of merging their culture with an american brand versus the the germans doing it well you're merging with americans and italians oh man we're screwed (laughs) (laughs) i you know it it all depends on how much they they all kind of agree it doesn't really matter where they came from it's it's a global industry i mean manly's not not even from europe right yeah he's, he's he's well he's english Oh, is he? I thought he was from... Um... Well, he's not from Europe anymore. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's just true. Uh, the world is so complicated. Um, I, I actually thought, I thought he was from like Australia or New Zealand or something. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it's a global global industry. So it doesn't kind of doesn't matter where they come from. It just matters you know, what, they, what they sort of agree to do. And then, you know, if they stick to it. Uh, there was a lot of promise to Daimler Chrysler in the beginning. Uh, and we, we, you know, we got some good stuff out of it. You can still go buy a Challenger. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that car is never going to die. It's, it's going to be around forever. Um, so, all right. Hey, as long as people keep buying them. Yeah, they still they sell better every the, year. Yeah, they they sell better now than they ever have. Nuts. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, but that's it. Our podcast is done. We have we've spent enough time babbling. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, send in questions. You know where to find us. It is uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, keep us uh, keep us on the dial, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. See ya. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.